now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and he said to them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, indeed, life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever comes to me and does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And he said, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and isn't able to finish, all who see it will ridicule him and begin to say, this fellow began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king does not first sit down to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes after him with 20,000. And if he's not, then he sends a delegation out while the other king is still far away and he asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all of your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. This bit about building a tower you can't finish had me Googling failed business ventures this week to find a contemporary comparison, if I could, to Jesus' odd example in this morning's gospel story. It might not be a completely fair comparison, but I did find a list of pretty well-known, previously successful businesses that bit the dust in the last 15 to 20 years. I wondered then if maybe their owners, their CEOs, their boards of directors or whatever failed to sit down and do what Jesus describes in this morning's gospel to see whether they could finish or build on what they started in the beginning. Blockbuster video, of course, got creamed by the digital streaming industry. Places like Toys R Us and Borders Books couldn't possibly keep up with the convenience and efficiency that is Amazon Prime. Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey circuses couldn't keep up with, or they succumbed to the pressure actually of animal rights organizations lately. And I don't know what happened to Dress Barn, but that showed up on the list. Do you remember Dress Barn? I do remember my sister-in-law once making a joke about how any self-respecting woman would shop at a barn. And so maybe just a better marketing gig would have saved Dress Barn. More seriously, though, I thought about Vladimir Putin and his war on Ukraine when I read that other odd kind of example that Jesus uses this morning about a king who wages war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether he might be able to win. Putin may have done the math, according to um, smarter people than me, he may have done the math enough to believe that he had the numbers to win his war, but he couldn't have accounted, apparently, for the immeasurable, intangible will and spirit and resilience of the Ukrainian people or the world community that came together to support them as they continue to resist his attacks and defend themselves for as long as they have. But what do 
my examples, Blockbuster, Borders Books, Barnum and Bailey Circus, or the examples of Jesus have to do with the rest of what he's trying to preach and teach the crowds this morning. I have to imagine that all those people listening to him wondered the same thing. For me, this is a be careful what you ask for kind of moment between Jesus and whoever was paying attention to him. These are fair warnings kind of words from Jesus. All of this sounds like a don't say I didn't warn you or cover your behind kind of proclamation to me because Jesus doesn't seem happy about what he's preaching and teaching and sharing today. If you remember, or if you were here, just in the last couple of weeks, we've heard Jesus in the synagogue arguing with the powers that be who are trying to keep him from healing on the Sabbath day. Last week, he was at a dinner banquet where people were pridefully, selfishly boss-hogging the best seats at the party. Right before what we just heard this morning, he tells another parable about a bunch of knuckleheads who get invited to another very important banquet by a very important person, but who make all sorts of excuses about why they wouldn't or shouldn't or didn't need to be there. They had better things to do. And now, today, Jesus is out and about in the world again, being followed around by God knows who, crowds of hangers-on looking to get a piece of whatever they believe Jesus has to offer them. And so you get the impression that Jesus is over it, that he's had enough, that he's less than impressed with the willingness or the ability or the intentions of those who follow him to really follow him to fully grasp what this discipleship means or what it would, could, should look like, to truly wrap their heads and their hearts and their lives around what this new life of God's grace might do for them, what it might do to them if they were to really, truly, fully, faithfully receive it and let it have its way with them. And I think there's a message for a 21st century church in all of this still, and a message for each of us as wannabe disciples of Jesus, faithful followers, as much as we can manage it anyway. And yeah, it is about money. After all, Jesus says we can't be his disciples if we don't give away our possessions. Sacrificing our things and our stuff and our money is part of what it means to follow Jesus, but it's not all and it's not only about our money and our things and our stuff. When I was reading about those companies, the ones that were once successful but failed, those big businesses who couldn't survive, those institutions that just are no more, the thing their respective downfalls all have in common, according to smarter people than me, was their failure to innovate, their inability to adapt to the needs of the world around them, their neglect of the desires and the longings of the people they hoped would avail themselves of their services. Netflix started out just like Blockbuster in the beginning. Remember, you could rent movies by mail and return the DVDs. But Netflix upped their game with the whole streaming thing while Blockbuster just kept doing what Blockbuster had always done and they died trying. 
Stores like Toys R Us and Borders, like I said, were just unable to offer the same affordable, efficient convenience that Amazon could. I guess Barnum and Bailey and Ringling Brothers circuses just hoped people would never find out or care enough about the treatment of the animals that it requires to make a circus a circus. And I don't know about Dress Barn, but like I said, maybe just a better name, better marketing strategy could have saved their behinds. So I think Jesus might be inviting us to think differently, to think more practically, to think more shrewdly and simply even about what we're up to as his disciples and as part of his church in the world. And yes, and again, it is about money. We cannot do what we want or need to do as God's church in the world without the financial means to make it happen. But more importantly, the faithful practice of giving our money and our things and our stuff away is about the faithful practice of doing with less, of sacrificing for the sake of something bigger than ourselves, of doing without so that others might have what they need, of practicing generosity simply for the sake of practicing generosity, of giving back with gratitude what has first been given to us, and of acknowledging our excess and standing in solidarity with the poor more often. But again, while our relationship with our wealth is paramount to Jesus, he talks about it more than anything else, it's not all or only about money. It's also about innovating and expanding our reach. We've done some of that pretty um, successfully in the last few years, thanks to COVID, unfortunately, by going online, by learning to give online, by worshiping online and adding other ministries online and all the rest. It's about paying attention to and being vocal about and about addressing the needs of the world around us, asking who's hungry, who's hurting, who's being left out or kept out of circles of faith around us. How do we as individuals and as a congregation of followers of Jesus find these people? How do we listen to these people how do we bring them into our fold and adapt accordingly if and when they show up? And are we ready for that? It's also about not doing what we've always done just because that's what we've always done. If tradition, for the sake of tradition, is the most dangerous elephant in any church sanctuary worshiping today, and it is something we should all avoid at all costs, if you ask me. And none of this, for Jesus or for me, is about surviving as an institution just for the sake of surviving as an institution. It's about following Jesus. It's about seeking, receiving, and celebrating God's love for us to the extent that it is no longer about us anymore. That's the innovation that Jesus calls us to, I believe. That's the cost he warns us about. That's what he invites us to. That's what he asks us to consider and to count on, to plan for if we want to get serious about our own discipleship. The evolution 
the innovation of our faith as followers of Jesus is about allowing all of this to cease being about you and me, to stop following Jesus around to see what we can get out of it, but to follow Jesus instead until our faith is about humbly and generously loving and serving the other. It's about being the body of Christ. It's about changing the world with the kind of grace and mercy and love and hope that he came to share with us. It's about letting the fullness of the grace we claim for ourselves change us utterly to such a degree that the world around us is different and better and blessed and looks more like the kingdom of God because we are part of it and because we share it without shame, without reservation, without limits, always in his name. Amen.